0: We have been in the series on Sunday mornings called Connected, My Life in the Church. I pray that it has been a blessing and that the Lord has used it to strengthen your part in the church of the living God. Today is the fifth sermon of this six-part series. Next week will be the last of that, and then beyond that we'll be moving into uh, a series on how to pray, and we'll be using the Lord's Prayer. And you also in Bible studies, small groups, Sunday school will also be going through that study together. Today's message again comes from the letter to the churches of, at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter five. We're going to read verses one and two, and then verses fifteen through twenty-one. And today, the title of today's message is Moving Beyond My Personal Church. Moving Beyond My Personal Church. If you are physically able, I would invite you to stand out of reverence and honor to the reading of God's holy word this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And now verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word today. Thank you, and you may be seated. It was in 2013 there was uh, some first for me. In 2013, it was the first time I'd ever entered into an airplane to leave the ground. The reason for that was is because uh, some of us went on a mission trip to Panama to teach experiencing God to local church there and to minister and to them. That was a big step for me. Before I left, I remember J.D. saying these words to me and why these words uh, stick out these years later, I really don't know, but... I remember him saying uh, we had a prayer time for our team before we left. I know Brother Otis, Brother Larry was on that team, Brother Tim Moulton uh, was with us on that team, and Tammy. But I remember J.D.'s words to me, and he said, you're going to see it's a big old world out there. It's a big old world out there. You know, sometimes we forget about that, don't we? We can see pictures of what's going on and radars around the globe in a matter of seconds. We hear news from around the world in a matter of seconds and minutes, and sometimes we forget just how big the world is and how little we are compared to it. Uh, on one of one day of our uh, trip, we went and visited the Panama Canal. You all have read about it, you've seen it, some of you have seen it in person. And I remember in my simple mind, and I'm being very honest with you, I, I could probably not appreciate it for what it was because it was really overwhelming to me. I don't see how that works. It was so large. I, I couldn't comprehend the, the structure of it, uh, how it was designed and things like that. Quite amazing. Quite amazing. I remember also we got there on a Wednesday afternoon, I believe, and we went to church services on that Wednesday night in the little village. And, you know, I have sung since a child in church, a teenager. I've sung all my life, either by myself or in groups, uh, quartets, choirs. But I want to tell you, that was, that was so moving and powerful when we sat and heard that church sing in a language I didn't even understand. And at that point, it didn't matter. They didn't know me. I was just there, feeling so small to a mighty God that works in the hearts and lives of other people in other parts of the world. As I was preparing this message, I also thought of the the trip that some of us took to Washington, D.C. on Veterans Day a few years ago how humbled I was to step outside of my little personal world. And I'd seen pictures of the Vietnam Memorial Wall, pictures of the World War II Memorial site, but to stand there. And, and I really had no place there on that day as there were many thousands of veterans along with some from our church. And I, I walked towards that memorial wall and, and was in awe of it. And I listened to men, uh, women. I didn't know any names on that wall. I didn't have any to look for. But just to be in the midst of that and to, to hear men say, welcome home, and to weep together. Black, white, it didn't matter. And I remember feeling so small as I not insignificant, but with the understanding that there is a lot of world outside of my personal world that has been lived and is being lived today. There's a larger world out there. You know, it's so easy to get boxed into our personal little world. We become so consumed with our life and our needs and what's going on in, in our daily world our desires, our business. And the same can happen in, in our church life as well. It's easy to happen. As a matter of fact, it's, it, we're drawn to it. We're drawn to, to box ourselves in, to be consumed with what's going on with our life. And, and we can allow ourselves to become boxed in into our personal, or I'll use the term little, Church, where it's all about us and and our few and those within, uh, I dare use the word "click," so to speak. And, and when it happens, when that happens, we begin to forget about the Lord's plan for the world for redeeming lost men and women around the world. We become, we begin to live for ourselves, even within our church stunting our personal and church growth, and not necessarily physically when I use these words, although it can cause physical, but I mean more of a spiritual, emotional detachment, but we become ill and depressed spiritually. And the church then becomes ill and depressed spiritually, and it doesn't even realize it because it's so focused on its little church. Our personal little church. And and you know when we find out that church life is is really not just about all of us and our needs or my needs or my desires and my wants and our little church by God's grace we can be freed to live a joyful purpose-filled and fruitful life. And, And I want to say this you do not have to go to Panama to experience that. You do not have to go to Mexico to experience that. You don't have to go to Washington and stand at the Vietnam Memorial Wall or the World War II Memorial or any other uh, powerful uh, statue there in Washington. You don't have to do that to experience that and get outside of your personal little church world. It can be done here at home. We saw the video here Today, what a wonderful video of our youth mission projects, of how they went to different places. I think all, Belinda, within probably a 50-mile radius, those that mission work was done. Uh, probably, how many mission projects did you do this summer? About six. All within a 50-mile radius of our youth going and getting outside of their personal personal world realizing that there's a bigger world out there there are people hurting there's people uh disturbed there are lost people that don't know jesus christ they don't have hope they're not living with purpose they don't have joy and all of these things and how easy it is to forget all of that you don't have to go to panama to do that we can do that here and we should whether it be with our neighbor other people, the clerk at Walmart, the gas attendant at Speedway. Even with the missionaries that we saw the video also of, even if we're not sent, we're realizing that our denomination is putting feet and hands and hearts on the mission field. The uh, IMB, International Mission Board, is sending out 66 new missionaries around the world, and your tithes and offerings are part of that. If you're not sent there, you're sending. And as it's been said, you're either sent, or you're sending, or you're sinning. <laughs> and that's the truth. Thomas Rayner, uh, president and CEO of Lifeway, who is retiring, a few short years ago did a survey among churches that were identified as self-serving and inwardly focused churches. And they found ten behavior patterns in the members in such churches. And I want you to listen to these very closely. These are behavior patterns within, if you will, spiritually ill or depressed churches and Christians within those churches. One was worship wars. They had war over how worship was done. Did I like the music? Did I like the songs? Did I like where this was placed? And it's been in my generation, especially beginning in the 80s, that I remember that churches split over worship. And some churches put in their constitution that a church... Past the, or a hymn past the writing of 1955 would not be sung in their church, or vice versa, a church under 1980 would not be sung in their church. Worship wars destroyed many fellowships and churches. And it was all about internal things. It wasn't about the world around them. It wasn't about the community around them. Another one was prolonged meetings. Listen, we got to have meetings to to plan and to talk and to pray, but I want to say this, that if we spend more time in a meeting than we do in witnessing, our balance is way off. Way off. There is no meeting to deal with things internal that should take more time than our time of worshiping and witnessing and loving the community around us. This was a behavior pattern within spiritually ill or depressed churches. Another one was their facility focused. And I know you're going to say, but you got to take care of the facilities. And God blessed us with this. And you're right. But when you, again, worry more about the facility than you do lost people or hurting church members, things are wrong in our spiritual life. I want to say this today. When you walked through the, the doors this morning, what was the first thing you were looking for? A dirty corner or somebody hurting that needed your hug and attention? What was the first thing you were looking for? Something the janitor didn't do to suit you or were you looking for somebody who's had a hard week and a difficult week? And shame on us when we're more worried about a little bit of dust than somebody's life and someone's difficulties that they're going through. Again, not saying we don't take care of our facilities, but we become bent more that way. Another characteristics of churches in this state was they were program-driven. Now, we, we use programs to help us take us where we want to go, but the problem within many churches today, and in a lot of our Baptist churches, we become uh, to serve the program instead of the program serving us. We become so program-driven. We forget why the program was started, and we begin to use terms like, yeah, but we've always done it this way. But if that way doesn't work anymore, why are you still doing it? That might have worked many years ago, a hundred years ago. doesn't it mean it's working now. Well, we've got to do it because it's this. It's this program. We become program-driven. Uh, an inwardly focused budget was another behavior characteristics of ill and depressed churches worried about us. You know, I actually had a member here, they don't come here anymore or attend, that told me a few years ago, uh, I don't like sending our money to the Kentucky Baptist Convention and the International Mission Board. That's our money. And they missed the point that there again, we're a part of putting 66 new missionaries that were the third largest disaster relief organization in the world. We were there when the hurricanes hit around the world. We've got missionaries going. They're there now. Still helping clean up. They become so inwardly focused, even with with how we use our money. Uh, Another one was, and and you'll think that I'm on a soapbox. I'm not. I'm really just reading the report. But unrealistic demands for pastoral care. In other words, uh, we talked to. I got to share a few moments with Marion's class today, and one of the thoughts among many churches that are very sick right here in our area is and uh well that's what we pay the preacher for but I can't be all things to all people and there's unrealistic expectations on many pastors today I was told one time I was having to spend uh, over a year or two time every few weeks I was having to go to visit this same person and it was never enough. It was like feeding a black hole. If I came ten times, uh, I wish you'd come see me more. You need to come see me more. And there was a while that went by. I went and visited another time. They hadn't been in church in a while. And the Christians, is not talking about reaching out to lost people. And these were their words to me. Well, you came visited me, so I guess I'll come visit you at church. I've never been back. If I have to baby people who claim to be Christians and love Jesus Christ to come to church, I'm not going to do that. And I hope you understand that. There are people that really need attention, that are depressed and hurting, they've lost loved ones, and they, they need our care. And I shouldn't have to beg someone that says they've given their heart to Jesus Christ and the church to come to church. Should not have to do that. There should be a desire in their heart to come and to be a part of the church. But this is, this is a characteristic of that. And we all do it together. It's not just my job. I lead that charge, but we all do it together. I'm thankful for many in this congregation that are calling and emailing and texting and visiting. Our deacons are doing a great job. Many of them are going to the hospitals. And and, and I want to tell you, rejoice in that. You don't have to see me all the time. Rejoice that other members are coming and checking on you. And by the way, 90 Over 90% of the time, I know about that because we're talking or communicating, even if I'm not the one there. Attitudes of entitlement was another behavior characteristic. Well, I've been here so many years, and I've sat in this pew, and daddy's plaque is out on the... Uh, out on the uh, wall there because he donated that wing and this property or whatever or that stained glass window. We don't even have any stained glass windows, by the way. I'm just using this as illustrations. But entitlement. I give this so I should get this, but the church is not a country club. That's not how it works biblically. More concerned about change than the gospel. That was another behavior characteristic. Are you more concerned that if we didn't do hugs and handshakes for a couple of weeks for reasons, are you more upset about that than the gospel? Are you more upset that we missed the birthdays and anniversaries one week and then were more missionaries put on the field? Were cards sent to those hurting? That's a behavior characteristic of a sick and spiritually depressed church. And that's why many churches are closing their doors each month in America. Anger and hostility. I can't. There's been times in my 15 years, I'm coming up on finishing 15 years here, and I've heard and even seen as a pastor's son people say, I can no longer attend your church. I've had people tell me this because of how I feel about so-and-so. Or I can't come to your church because of how I feel about so-and-so. Anger and hostility, it makes not only us sick and depressed, but it makes the church sick and depressed. And so Paul urged to in the Scripture that we read today to avoid foolishness and live wisely as members connected through Christ. This is what it means to be a part of the church. We've got to get outside of our little church, our little world, so to speak, our personal world, our personal church, and live wisely as members connected through Christ, and I don't believe that we mean to act foolishly and hurt the church. I think many times it can begin with good uh, motives, but then it turns bad. But we get boxed into our little church world and we make things about our wants and our preferences and our desires. And the church then becomes sick and us along with it and we don't even realize it many times. And the reason is is because we're not doing what we were saved, redeemed, and created to do. We become a taker instead of a giver in the local church. We say, you know, that's fine, preacher. I'm fine. I know Jesus Christ. But I want to challenge that thought. If you knew Jesus Christ as well as you say you do, you'd be doing what He did. Again, the church does not exist for us, it was not created by man or assembled by man. But we exist in the church because of God's purpose for His people. Let me say that again. The church does not exist for us. This church existed before I got here. I didn't form this pulpit God used other people to do that. It'll go on, God willing, long after I'm gone. It's just my part for now to stand here and preach the gospel. It's your part for us to be connected in Christ and to do the work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ together. The church does not exist for you. Or for me, but I only exist, you only exist in the church because for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son and whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the only reason I exist. The last breath I just took is only because of God's grace. So today in the Scripture, in just for a few moments, I want us to look at three ways to keep from happening what we've just spent the last few minutes speaking about, and that's becoming boxed in to our personal or little religious world or corner. If you look again in chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, "...therefore be imitators of God as beloved children." And so the first thing I want to share with you is to simulate God's redeeming work in the world. Simulate God's redeeming work in the world. A lot of Christians believe they're good people because they made a decision. They're in church. And they must be smarter than everybody else because they chose Jesus Christ. I want to tell you... It's all by grace, people, and I would have never received Jesus Christ if he had first not come to me. We would not have had a Savior to put our faith in if God had not first loved the world and sent his Son into the world to save us. We simulate God's redeeming the work in the world, and we think of how God did that. He came to us, He revealed Himself to us, He sought after us with grace and mercy and love. And so, to keep from becoming ill and depressed and sick spiritually in your personal life, in the church as well, is to simulate God's redeeming work that you also go as God came to you. As God went, so we go. Jesus said, As I came into the world, I send you. We go and we seek people out to minister unto them, to love them, to show grace unto them, to show mercy unto them, to show love unto them as well. We go. We send. We are sent. Locally and nationally. And if we're not sent, we're sending. Through our tithes, through our offerings, through our prayers, through our support and encouragement, we go. We simulate God's redeeming work in the world. We don't just come to a church service, but we become the church by doing the work of God as His beloved children. We imitate our Father. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He sacrificed His only begotten Son that we might find salvation. Might we too with the help of the Holy Spirit and the direction of the Word of God, have that same Spirit that is willing to sacrifice our ease for the good of others. Secondly, after assimilate God's redeeming work in the world, we sign over the local church to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. I don't know the joke hadn't planned on telling it, but you remember, some of you have heard the joke for years about a man who who uh, went to church and he was a little dirty and, and had a little smell, and the some people met him at the door and, and uh, they said, you know, brother... Uh, we don't know, you must not know us, but we believe that when you come to church, you dress appropriately and a little cleaner. And so why don't you go home and, and pray about that. And then maybe you can come back and be ready for us. And, and so the man was, was charged to leave that day. He came back the next week and, and, uh, the, the people asked him, well, did you pray about that? And he said, yeah, and I'm not going to come back because uh, Jesus said you all haven't let him in here either for a long time. <laughs> and some have told that joke better than I did. That was just from a little bit of memory. But it's true that there are a lot of local churches that Jesus is not the head of that church. Only in lip service, but not in action. There's power struggles within the church. When we're trying to plan something new and something comes out like, well, have you talked to brother so-and-so about that? No. I didn't know I needed to. Well, they don't like that, or they give the money for that. These are things going on each week in local churches, brothers and sisters, and you know it, and I know it. Christ isn't the head of that local church. There's a family that is. There's a person that is. Uh, There's a family that holds the checkbook, so to speak. And we don't have that problem here. But I'm saying, I could take you to some churches where I know that's an issue. Christ is not the head of that church. And for us to get outside of our personal world, as it says in verses 22 through 23 of chapter 1 in Ephesians as well, It says, and he put all things under his feet, speaking of God through Jesus Christ. He, God, put all things under his, Jesus Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. He is the head of the church. We don't have a priest. I'm not the head of the church. I'm simply a brother, a pastor, called to preach the gospel, an under-shepherd to the great-shepherd. Beloved, I'm not the head of this church. And when I become the head of this church, then we've got a serious problem. You're not the head of this church. When you become the head of this church, we become ill, sick, and depressed. Jesus Christ is the only one that has been given the keys and the authority to be the head of the church, locally and also abroad. We must sign over the local church to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And that means at times, even when things don't go on our schedule, when things don't go our way, we trust Christ with His church. Lord, this is Your church. I'm only here by Your grace. And I believe You've put me here for a reason for a time such as this until I feel that You have moved me on. But until then, I'm going to trust You with Your church. Lastly, we must saturate our soul with the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Holy Spirit. First, we simulate God's redeeming work in the world. We go, we seek, we show grace, mercy, and love. Secondly, we sign over the local church to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. We seek Him, His direction through prayer and worship and digging into His Word and giving Him control of our hearts and our lives Thirdly, we saturate our soul with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We take time to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We read the Word of God. We have personal, private worship. We join publicly to worship and learn with others. And I want to tell you, there's a difference between being sealed with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Every day I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit by God's grace, but I'm going to tell you, not every day have I been filled with the Holy Spirit and shown the joy of the Holy Spirit in my life. But through our spiritual disciplines and giving ourselves over and rejoicing in the Lord, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to say as Paul writes here, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the question there is, do you get more excited about a buzz from beer or a buzz from being filled with the Holy Ghost? Now, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I'm talking to somebody. He said, don't be drunk with, with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let's look at what it looks like when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. What are the effects of the Holy Spirit in our life? We become a singing people. We're joyful people. You ever been in a bad mood and there's that guy at the store who's sitting there humming and singing and whistling the whole time? You're thinking, gosh, I wish they'd shut up. But a happy people are filled with joy and they're singing. And when the church comes together, they're joyful and they're singing worship together. Even if they don't know the song, they jump in the best they can because they want God to hear, if nothing else, a note, even if it's off-key, because they're so happy to be a child of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. A person filled with the Holy Spirit is a joyful person. We sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs toward one another, to one another, For the glory of God. We're a joyful people singing. We come to worship together. Secondly in effect of the Holy Spirit is we are a thankful people. We give thanks. We're people that are constantly thankful instead of a people that are consistently discontented. I want to ask you, are you discontented more than you are thankful in your life? If that's true, I want to tell you, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You might be sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, but you're not filled with the Holy Spirit if you are consistently more discontented than thankful about everything in life. If worship bores you, But there's another one. There's another effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Look with me if you will again in verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we simulate God's redeeming work, when we sign over the local church to the head of the church Jesus Christ, when we saturate our soul with the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you this this is going to happen. You're going to look out for the needs of others above your own wishes and desires for the church. You're going to submit. That's a word we don't like, especially in American culture. It's not the John Wayne way, and I love John Wayne movies, but this isn't the John Wayne way. We submit to the needs of our brothers and sisters. We put them above us. You've heard the acronym for joy. Jesus, others, you. We submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence to Christ. Because Jesus Christ surrendered His life to build the church. The church is here because God submitted and became like us in the person of Jesus Christ. And then God in the flesh submitted Himself, surrendered His body. He laid it down. No one took it from Him. He laid it down at the cross of Calvary. For the joy that was set before him our redemption and the glory of the Father out of reverence to Christ I look at Jason and I say Jason I'm going to submit my will to your needs right now and Jason does that for Amy and Amy for Otis, Otis for Pat we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Beloved, this is what it means to be a church member. This is what it means to be a blood-bought, washed Christian in the church. We are not an organization, though we are organized. We are a living organism with the Holy Spirit working in and through us. This is not our creation. Some of you labored many long hours. I watched Joe. I begged Joe to go home sometimes because he was on his hand. And many of you all know J- Joe's hand, the loss of half of his fingers. And he was down on that hand for so many hours. His hand was swelling up as he was laying the tile. I begged Joe, go home. But Joe would be one of the first ones to tell you, this isn't his church. This is the Lord's building. We didn't start this. We didn't create this. We're only here by God's grace and His mercy and His love. And He sought us out and brought us into it. This is what it means to be a part of the church. I don't know what you thought or what you think or how you were raised, So when we're simulating God's work, when we're his redeeming work, when we're keeping Christ as the head of his church, when we're surrendering our lives over to the control of the Holy Spirit, here's what we experience. We experience renewed spiritual vision. We experience renewed spiritual health. We experience new renewed spiritual worship. We experience renewed spiritual healthy relationships within the church. God is glorified and the church is edified and God is adding to the church. Beloved, I want to ask you some serious questions as we come to the close of this service today. Honestly, I want to ask you something. If this is your church, are you a giver or a taker? You've heard that about the little boy that asked his dad, Dad, you must not have liked the show today at church too well. Why do you say that? Well, you only put 50 cents in the offering plate. But a lot of people, that's how they look at it. How was the show today? They wouldn't use those words, but that's what they're thinking. How did everybody perform? I want to ask you are you a giver or a taker? And I don't just mean financially, but I do mean financially. But I mean in every way. Of your time, your treasures, and your talents. Are you attending services or are you really on mission with God? Those are two totally different things. Thousands of people are attending church today. But there's a lot fewer on mission with God. Assimilating God the Father's work. Are you inwardly or outwardly focused? Are you more worried about you than you are other people, even here beside you in pews? I want to ask you today, would you trust Christ today with His church? Would you trust Christ today with His church? See, I have to go through that every week too. And there are some weeks I don't do a very good job at it. And I have to repent and ask forgiveness. And remember, as the prophet said, it's not by my might or my power, but by the Spirit of God. Today, would you trust Christ with His church? Would you trust Him with your life? For some of you, that means to become a Christian. And there's this struggle of, you know, I'm, God's got to be obliged to let me in heaven because I've done this and this and I come to church I want to tell you, there's only one way. It's through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's why He sent His Son into the world, because He so loved you. Would you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior, the Redeemer, the way, the truth, and the life? Would you give your life to Him today? Would you become a child of God?